Welcome to the Boneyard. This is a podcast about Mythgard. This is episode nine, The Evil Red. And you can blame Mark Theus for that awful Evil Dead pun. It's all good, though. My name is Flake. I will be your host and join, as always, by my co-host, the spooky Mark Theus. There's no shortage of puns, Flake, just remember that. But uh, we are happy to bring you another episode of The Boneyard. We're getting close to episode 10, which is pretty exciting. And we want to start the show by thanking our sponsors, Team Rankstar, Ink to Gaming, 98.3 Media, OP Seat, and all you wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for making the podcast what it is. Yeah, and uh, Mythgard has undergone a slight balance tweak with the main nerf target having been Orpheum of Horrors. <gasps> and uh, I know, it's just everybody, let's pour one out for our uh, Orpheum boys. But uh, with the patch, we also get a slew of new faction missions to complete. And uh, as we also bask in the aftermath of the Moonlight Masquerade. And what an event it was. And to help us make sense of the nerf, as well as discussing the new faction missions and the decks list from the Moonlight Masquerade is streamer and card slinger Waifu Gate. Yeah, that's right. And now this deal is getting worse all the time, so best pray we don't alter it any further. Let's play the music and enter the Boneyard. All right, we're going to start again with the state of Mythgard now. No meta snapshots from our friends at MythgardHub.com yet, but we do have a tournament that just wrapped up this past week. It was the Moonlight Masquerade, so there's no shortage of Were you there? information. I happened to be there. Yes, I was wow. uh, taking part. Well, I was taking part from a, pers- a a spectator perspective on the first day, the the Saturday, the Swiss tournament. Mm-hmm. However, I also got the privilege of casting uh, four matches. Uh, the was it four matches or three matches? It was uh, a four. No, it was uh, it was four. Semi- four. It was four. Yeah, yeah. It was great though. It was fantastic, and I'm very very happy with the turnout with the amount of people that actually took in the tournament when it was broadcast and big thanks again to 98.3 media for that but uh that tournament was a pretty good barometer of what decks people are confident in as well as what performed well so we are going to be breaking down those decks pretty shortly but first i want to bring in our guest for this episode that would be waifu gate waifu gate welcome to the show thank you and uh, now you are a streamer. You have a lot of CCG experience. You're an excellent card player all around. But I want to know what is your your whole the whole resume of your background in CCGs? In CCGs, so I started out um, as a kid card collecting uh, Pokemon cards, which evolved into Yu-Gi-Oh, which evolved into Magic, and um, I've delved here and there um, in different card games like Shadowverse, for example. I actually started streaming. Um, with Shadowverse, um, uh, under the name of Swiss Mocha, but that's going to be part of your your other video thing that you're working on, I think. So, um, <laughs> yes, there, there's kind of another sort of side project going on called What's in a Name, but we can talk about that another time. But uh, right. we'll we'll get to break that as Swiss Mocha. I mean, I've never mm. I've had a standard <laughs> Mocha, <I've>, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like pretty much my focus is on Magic and now Mythgard. Like I've uh, been streaming magic and then after streaming magic for, you know, six, seven or uh, eight hours, I'll stream Mythgard for like one to three. Um, And it's been a really enjoyable experience so far. I've liked it a lot. That's what I was going to get to. And and it's interesting to note that there's always Yu-Gi-Oh! in the path to where you are today. Every 
one who's come onto the show has usually either sprinkled in a little bit of Pokemon or a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh in terms of what their credentials are getting to where they are. And, and I want to know now that you're obviously focused mostly on magic, but there is, like you're saying, you're dedicating some of your time every every time that you stream to Mythgard and you are enjoying it. But I want to find out how you discovered Mythgard, mainly because there's not a huge marketing push coming from Rhino. And I came into it basically from word of mouth. I didn't see any ads for it. I just saw other people play it and other people recommend it to me, specifically Mark. But I want to know how you discovered the game. A friend, uh, like a fellow streamer called uh, The Gravecrawler was actually streaming it. And that's when I first saw it. And then I noticed that you were streaming it as well shortly after that. So uh, between you and him, um, I got introduced to it. So he's the one to blame. We'll just blame him. But uh, I'm, I'm- <laughs> Wait, I've seen him on the ladder before. Is he is he another uh, partner? I don't. Yeah, he, I think he is. Right. He's another myth. Yeah. Partner? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, one of the I think in like the second wave of partners or third wave yeah. of partner introductions, he he's in there and he's a great dude. If you haven't, uh, if you don't know uh, Gravecrawler, he is uh, someone also worth checking yeah. out. Solid but, player. Uh, now, the appeal for you, because you are predominantly an MTG player, and I want to know where the appeal lies in MTG players in general, because I know that a lot of MTG players such as myself, but also such as Jeff Hoogland, Noxious, etc., have uh, and Mogwai have all been very uh, favorable to this game. What do you think is the appeal of this game that MTG players are really, you know, taking notice of Mythgard? I'd say the obvious one's the resource system, just that all of your um, playables are also lands. I think that's right. the main main point. Like the land screw issue, I find, is something that has always been a boon of the game, and it's so well tied into the identity of Magic that it's something that you can't just fix. It's not like you can tweak that system to a degree. You can always print cards that can help you, you know, dual lands, etc., all the time, but... I think that what with magic, you'll always have that as a frustrating element to it. So being able to improve upon it is most likely why MTG players, I feel you have the same design space as as magic does in terms of color combination, et cetera. But man, that land system can just really screw you hard and make you feel kind of bad. As awesome as magic is, and I'm not one to I'm not gonna stand here and and pretend that I don't like the game. I love the game. But Mythgard does not have those same, you know, feel bad moments. Yeah, I agree. So besides that, and, and what I do appreciate about you, Waifu, is that you have sent me, uh, uh, you know, a dozen different lists over the course of, you know, a month or two of, of you really discovering and, and diving into this game. And one thing I do enjoy is that your lists are always creative. They're always innovative and trying new things. And, and as somebody who prefers a creative approach versus an efficient net deck style you know calculated dive into deck building i love your lists your lists are great and you're always you're always giving me updates and and whatnot and i sincerely appreciate those now i want to know what your latest concoction is what are you you know tinkering Um, with what's your your current baby the current baby right now is a uh, purple green list it's based off of um what honoric's been working on what's funny about me and honoric um he's another fellow streamer um, is that we'll end up coming to the same conclusions once in a while, um, like just efficiencies or cards that we like. Um, so the list that I'm running right now, I can just uh, I can link it to you in, in Discord, but it's basically just a uh, a green purple list that 
um, uses um, Sword Saints' life gain for purple. And then it uses Born Again and Disc to get a value engine going. Um, and then it just ramps a bit and it's got like really powerful cards like uh, Stag and Treacherous uh, Murmur and Bald Mountain. And it just kind of recurs that a bit while using like Racer to fight off aggro, uh, Steam Bun, stuff like that. Um, there's a spicy Defy Death in there. Like, and I love Spirit Away with, with Bald Mountain. That's probably my favorite combination of cards. Just That's a nasty card. That is yeah. such a nasty card. The the transformative effect is so I don't want to say overrated because I think people value it, but in terms of removal, transforming a creature versus just destroying it, you know, obviously banishing something is, is probably your best bet, but transforming it is likely the next best thing there. And sweeping yeah. something away, turning it into a vacuum cleaner or whatever the hell it becomes is just damn good. Yeah. And you don't just remove the creature either. You stuff one of your opponent's draws because they have to draw that later as an O3 and it's just terrible for them. So I like that a lot. Oh yeah. So you're, yeah. Yep. Yeah, when you're when you're stuffing garbage into their into their potential draws, there's gonna be a feel bad moment when they're just, you know, they're looking <laughs> for something off the top and then they get that garbage draw. Yeah. Now you, you yeah. play disc with this with this list, but you're playing it not as a from a perspective of reanimation, you're playing it from a perspective of just value trading with the Slayer ability, right? Yes, value trading, and then you can just chuck Born again. You can chuck like spears, like just things that you have extra copies of, like a racer if you're not really looking to trade it or something. Like you just pitch whatever your worst card is, and then you get. Um, usually, it's Born again though, and then you get to divination the next turn if you need to, and then you have that Slayer, so you can trade with Racer as a three. So it's almost like having Infuse. Even though you don't have infuse as your power, you have smite, so it's just easy to trigger. So there's a lot of depth to it. I was watching um, on our extreme that and just uh, ended up switching it to it to myself. I just liked it a lot. That's such a great path that I think is underutilized because so many people use it with reanimator and that's it. And then like when you think about the Slayer effect and then getting extra card draw, like man, that's actually a really great path to use another way. I remember Charmer said something about using it in mono orange. And he used it Ooh, nice. like to discard the uh, the tokens. Like you just use tokens to discard, so he wasn't actually yep. getting rid of anything big. Like that, that's such a good idea. <laughs> yep. Like yeah, well, I think I think Honoric based it off of one of the top eight lists. I forget which one he said uh, he based it off of, but they were doing a similar thing with uh, Born Again, I believe, with the disc control for just yeah. a regular control list and not a not specifically a reanimator. The wholesome, uh, so this is a good uh, opportunity now to, you know, slide into the fact that while there's no established meta necessarily, I mean, there's decks yeah, that are popular. On, kind of. <laughs> well, there's decks that are popular yeah. on any particular yeah. day. I think, I think it depends on what, what your rank is, because like the, right. the meta is so different in gold than it was when I was in silver. And it's really different, apparently, in bronze. Everyone's just playing aggro in bronze. <laughs> so it's if, like super different. If we want to kind of dip our toe into what is commonly popular or, or people, what people trust in terms of, um, you know, when when the games matter, you know, in terms of like high level play on Mythic or, or in Champions, excuse me, in Champions tier, you, you the evaluation, a good way to, to just sort of discern what is um, quote unquote meta, it's, you know, the, the tournament that we most recently had where stuff was on the line, there were prizes ready to go, the top eight were very, very diverse. And I think that this is uh, worth diving into because there was a, a significant slew of different decks. And I'm just going to go through but the only eight. one reanimator. Well, <laughs> that's only one. <laughs> so 
in terms of uh, and purely discussing the top eight, the top eight we had a green, uh, a green purple reanimator. We had a uh, orange yellow, a blue red. We had a red, uh, a red orange, a yellow green, a green orange, and a another red orange. So lots of uh, there was a couple red or uh, two red oranges. I think was essentially the the that that's the the mode of two is green orange, which is. Mm. Um, or uh, sorry, red, orange. Red, yeah. So there was a nice diversity to it. And at the end of the day, we had no mirror matches going through the tournament. It was all uh, different decks, different archetypes going up against each other. Do you think that the fact that there's no decks that are, you know, identifying themselves as, as meta favorites, is that a good, I feel that that's a very, very good thing that any deck could really, could really win any tournament which in turn puts the onus on the player and the piloting skills is that the ultimate goal of a card game is to put the best players in the best positions and decks are not necessarily as important to discover you know determining the the victor of any particular tournament yeah for sure i you know what's interesting when you say that the the right before masquerade the day before masquerade it was in uh, the nerf to Orpheum happened. And right before that, a lot of people had submitted uh, red purple as their deck. Like that was the meta, like that was kind of the meta that was forming anyway, right? The red purple aggro. And right before on that Friday, when they released the patch, a bunch of people resubmitted their decks because they changed from red purple just because of the one card. But that's why all of a sudden, like, I think that nerf made it more diverse. I think you would have seen a lot more red purple in that tournament had it not been for the orpheum nerf the day before which is really and I, I wonder how much different it would have been yeah i think it's good that the developers are stepping in like that too to balance cards that are super like um like just super broken or super like it just feels oppressive like if you're go if you're gonna queue up on the ladder and you're like oh i'm probably gonna play against this this one aggro deck again yeah that's um, that's like uh that's always good because you never want like one card that's if there's one card that's oh this is in every deck then it's like, well, maybe we should look at that card and, and find out why every single person has to play this card and, you know, maybe change that up. Yeah, because it's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, continue, please. Well, I was about to say, like, it's it's fine if um, if a card's, like, powerful in a way, but if, if people are just running that one card and it can only be ran and it's, like, the most efficient thing ever, it's just a really, really feels-bad um, situation. And it's it's fine to just look at the card and then be like, well... You know, how can we rebalance this so that it's it's balanced? Maybe people will still run it in these types of aggro lists, but it won't just feel as bad playing against it. Like maybe increase the mana cost or do something else. But yeah, I still see it, too. I still see Orpheum. Uh, I still see that red purple deck. Like, I don't think it changed a whole lot. I understand why people got mad about the uh, taking away the plus one effect, but I still see it. It's still pretty effective for board clear and all that. Well, uh, I think that there was a little bit of a I don't want to call it. A, well, I do want to call it an overreaction. There was a, a a matter of actually, it was the it was the Discord equivalent of flipping cars over and lighting stuff on fire. It was a little bit yeah, much but of an. <laughs> if you looked at the argument, though, I kind of get it because the argument was that that was the one deck that was budget friendly and was able to deal with a lot of other different types of decks. But the the thing is, though, like my argument was. I don't think that the taking away the plus one on Orpheum was really going to make a huge difference for you because the reason why you were playing Orpheum to begin with was to have a board clear. And that was the way to help deal with 
uh, when you're aggro to help clear the board for you. So that effect is still there. So that's why I was like, I mean, you still have the board clear. So why are we <laughs> this upset about it? But I understand the whole aggro or the whole uh, budget part of it. Right. And and it's true. And again, it's just the one extra damage uh, that you're losing. So it, over the course of it might take one extra turn for you to actually go ahead and, you know, punch through. But perhaps that was part of the calculated effectiveness of the deck is the fact that, you know, usually by turn five, you should have your opponent in, in range for uh, a lethal and one extra turn. It might make the difference. I, I was just talking about it with laser on the the tournament broadcast is that aggressive decks versus control or, or late game decks, the sixth turn is usually where things start to change and things start to sort of sway in the other yeah. option where if you can weather that storm for the first few turns, then you're fine. Yeah, that, now, that's what I said about turn seven a while back when I said, if you're playing aggro, if you're past turn seven, then forget it because <laughs> you're going to have to play control now. Right. Yeah. In regards, uh, in regards to like budget and stuff too, there is one list. I think it was, um, uh, Koravas, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Like oh, Kavaris, um, yes, or Kavaris. But like, you look at that list, and it's pretty budget too. Like, aside from Braggy and uh, Magnus, it's it's like just a rare or two, and you probably don't need the Oak to win. You know? It's yeah. Nice, oh yeah, but, yeah. I know that list. Yeah. So yeah, you so don't really like, need Oak. Oak is nice, but you don't 100 yeah. need that card. Yeah. And like, you can run Thunderclap instead of Magnet Magnus. It's not as good, but I mean, like, if you just need the clear, you know, I think Magnus is is pretty good in that list just because it's a body plus it's um, you know, a tempo play, sure. but something like that could be really good for budget too. So there's still other options. Like even if the go-to option isn't there anymore, it's still, there's still stuff out there oh, for, for you, sure. which is nice. Yeah. Flake just helped uh synergy guide, right? Right. You just helped him with a new lit. He's like new to the game, brand new. And you just helped him make a nice aggro like budget deck. And he's, he's doing great with it. Yeah. He and was as green as green can get in terms of getting into the game. And he was maybe uh, probably just a couple hours into his progression. And we I, basically what I did was I said, I, I told him, I said, do you, you just want to be winning games right now? Right? Like you want to just be able to sort of crank out as many games as possible to complete quests and whatnot. And I, I suggested that red blue is the best way to go. And basically what we did was we went through his red and red and blue collection and put the the obvious choices in there and then we used the rest of his wild cards and his essence and then filled the gaps and i believe if i'm not mistaken we went five and oh by the time i you know sort of pieced out of his stream or out of uh out of his you know i was kind of coaching him through the early games but eventually then he came back and says i think i've, I've i went like 10 and 2 after you left with this deck nice. it's, yeah and it's and the whole uh, aggressive state usually is um leans towards a more budget friendly and i think that the fact that orpheum put it over the top was you know people were maybe a little bit upset because again it all comes down to people's collections and their economy and the fact that yeah. there was a tier one deck out there that had uh, a very low price it, tag that people can really jump on early and have some success with yeah that that's why it's a tier one deck that was forming that that was the meta that was forming and that's why it was it was like quickly shut down and that's why i was like oh you shut down the meta already. I think it's how people felt. So, Part of it, I think, also the popularity of that deck was the fact that it, it flew right under the other popular deck, which is yellow-green Volition combo decks. And even though yellow-green Volition combo won the tournament, there was only one instance of it in the entire top eight. Yellow-green yeah. Volition <laughs> was only there once. Uh, you know, I think it was at, there though in the whole in the Swiss. I'm pretty sure it was there a couple times in Swiss, but it was the only so, only one made the top eight. 
I actually have the statistics for this in terms okay. of what showed up. And I want to give a I want to give big props to Corey Milhouse, who actually uh, took uh, took almost like a census of the decks and not only the decks in terms of what their appearance are, but classifying them and their conversion rate. So uh, if just as a quick explanation of what conversion rate means, basically the top eight in order to be in the top eight before tiebreakers, you needed to have a four in two record in the six round Swifts. So what he did was he told us how many percentage of each deck had a four and two record. So had an opportunity to make it. So, but in terms of, um, of green, yellow, like volition combo, only 5% of the 42 P, uh, players played volition wow. combo 5%. Now all 5%, I guess being the, uh, made it to, uh, you know, the conversion rate was they all went four and two or better. Not all were in the top eight, but only 5% brought volition combo so those who were uh you know losing their minds about volition being a giant boon on everything when when push comes to shove and there was actual you know prizes on the line five percent of people brought it to the tournament so is that is you know is it still a problem in your eyes is 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 volition something that needs to get addressed like a lot of people think it should hmm. uh, eh. I mean, the the deck is quite like slow, like in the way that it works. And there are different ways to do it too. Like there's like the green uh, orange variant where they don't use Volition, but they use like Resupply Caravan to accomplish about the same thing. Um, right. And the Caravan, problem with, the Caravan problem with control that, decks were uh, re represented 10% of, so okay. there was about four or five people who brought uh, a Caravan related green, oh, it was orange green Caravan control. And we ended up seeing that in the uh in the finals or sorry in the top eight look at the rainbow rush uh oh wait i'm looking at the wrong column I'm looking at the can wait wait there's two different columns uh yeah so the first column um let me the first just, column uh, is how many people brought that is that what it is uh correct so okay. the the uh is how many actually brought it and i'm seeing if i can actually get this uh this image oh, and the, se the second column is how many people won with it uh, no, it, the, the, so the conversion rate is whoever went, uh, whoever had a record that related to being top eight. Oh, worthy. okay. I got you. Yeah. So you needed to go four and two to pass the conversion rate. Again, thanks to Corey Milhouse for these statistics, but uh rainbow rush being blue, red, it, it was just basically, are you, which rush are you playing? You know, like a three color rush, 14 people were playing some type of rush related variant, uh, versus 15% that brought control, uh, some type of miscellaneous control, but, um, the 2% that brought reanimator, uh, I guess that was just one person that was, that was wholesome who <laughs> made the top eight, Yeah, who <laughs> made the top eight, which was great. Yeah. Uh, so you know, there, there's that whole thing, but, um, all in all, there was no specific what like one type of arch like archetype. So caravan control, orange green, ten percent. Fires of creation, any type of artifact related deck was twelve percent. Rush, any type of rush variant was fourteen percent. But that was it in terms of specific decks that brought it. So there was a nice spread of decks. And oh, I, I didn't I'm, think anyone brought fires of creation actually. So I'm a little surprised, but I didn't think. I, well, I, nobody, I didn't nobody who made it in. Conversion rate zero percent. It was a losing. Yeah, I, oh, no. that makes me sad, man. I love fires of creation. That makes me very sad. Yeah, fires of creation. It's so underrated. Yeah, 
uh, well, with a conversion rate of zero percent, people might need to still sort of figure out the the, the I, nice like I the right frequency for it. Someone in your stream today said, and I think this is why people feel that way about fires, because somebody in your stream today said, "Oh, that decks too like that's I, I don't have a high enough IQ for that." And I was like, "Well, it's just you just have to play slow and think about it." And it's like it's it's just a very fires is such a slow deck, and there's so many things you have to build, and it just gets worse as the game goes, you know, for your opponent. But it's such a slow start. I think that just turns people off. I guess I don't know. So in terms of an actual meta, the decks obviously are, are well spread out. I think that the statistics that we need to pay attention to is the fact that in this tournament, 48% chose turn of seasons as their path and 62% chose impel <laughs> as their as their uh, as their I, power. I love that he did all this. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Again, Corey Milhouse really come in and clutch here. So thanks again to Corey Milhouse. Um, is that something that needs to get looked at? Is Impel the obvious choice? I don't know how you would possibly nerf it or if it even needs a nerf. No, but is, no. it, is Impel just far and beyond better than the other options in terms of powers if it had a 62% selection rate from decks in the tournament? Maybe everyone had a lot of faction or had a lot of uh, quests for Impel. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you're gonna play. If you like, if you're entering a tournament to complete quests, you've got. Hey, give they, my regards to your balls because they that still is work. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but like oh, oh, half half of the the entrance, uh, I guess I got about probably twenty people of the of the forty two chose turn of seasons as their selection, and sixty two percent chose impel. What makes impel so? so attractive impelling yes i guess to uh this collection waifu is is that your power of choice when you're when you're building a deck i mean to me it, it seems like the obvious choice whenever i'm playing anything but rush yeah i think i think there's a good chance that i usually pick impel um just because being able to move and then attack is just so strong and it's so good for positioning even being able to impel and then move again to stuff uh, like an attack is also useful but like there are opportunities like to play other other powers, such as like in the reanimator list, um, you play smite or something you can do that doesn't require you to have a creature like mend, for example. I think instead of just straight up nerfing impel though, we could look at like rebalancing the other powers to make them a little bit stronger. Like mend, for example, maybe healing for two instead of one wouldn't be broken. Like I think that would be fine. But then, like, how do we make the other thing? Like, I think Infuse is already fine because you'll use Infuse in, like, an orange deck to trade up on recruits so you can attack for three. Or um, on the, like, you know, tokens, the one ones, you can attack for two and trade, and that's fine. But there's, like, every time I do that, I, I miss Impel. Like, I'm just like, man, I wish I could just move my dude over and smack that guy. <laughs> I wonder what I the think least the regret, one is. Yeah, the regret of not choosing Impel is always you know that is always the the feel bad moment when you're when you just won away and you just want to slide over and, and get a, a fair trade on something where otherwise you know nothing would help you i like i like what you're saying about the mend i think mend might get a lot more play if it played a lot like smite in the same regards that if, if your opponent where smite has the added bonus of if your opponent has more health than you it'll do two damage i feel like with mend if mend had the the added bonus of healing your 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 face for two if you're behind and you're Ooh, as well as I you're like that, um, uh, that I think, then people will yell it's too OP. So I don't know. 
That's the point. <laughs> Isn't that weird that like that one extra point it makes it go from underpowered to way overpowered? And I tend to agree because I think healing face for two when you're way behind well, is think about all the things you would put out of range by healing by two, right? So you'd be putting uh, ignition out of range. You'd be pushing a lot of um, uh, rush cards out of range. You know, if you heal, like if you're trying to just stay alive and heal by two instead of one, you would just be like, I don't know. Well, that's like, a maybe lot, we could. Yeah, maybe it could heal face for two, but only the minions always for one. Oh Something no, no, that's like that. yeah. I would never make it a, a heal minions for two. I think that would be. Oh, that would be nuts. You'd have like you'd have defenders that just never leave the board. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you'd need hard removal just to get rid of these gigantic yeah. bodies on the board. Mend, I think, I think Mend is fine. I just don't think it's in the current proper meta. I'm seeing it a lot more recently as the as the the frequency of decks uh, as as sort of rush decks and aggressive decks kind of uh, fall out of massive favor. I think Mend was way too slow in the in the in the rush meta. I think now that things are kind of slowing down to a more mid rangey to control side of the spectrum. Mend is a little bit better. I've, I've been queuing yeah. into Mend a lot. I, more, I like Mend. Mend is my favorite uh, ability to use. Yeah, it's uh, my favorite overall. I was, that was the first one that I ever did. I thought that Mend was, to me, I was always thinking, I'm like, first of all, why the hell would you ever choose Impel? It seems stupid. And then <laughs> I thought that Infuse was never the right <laughs> answer. And then eventually I was like, I, I always thought that Mend was by far the best uh and i i i was i'd laugh when someone would cue into me with like <laughs> with impel impel i'm like whatever run away yeah. from me i don't care yeah like, uh, i'll always have i'll always have people on the board to match you you know and then i obviously that was wrong but impel is great with uh like anybody that has swift uh or teleport you know because you could just fly them around <laughs> which is really yeah good. the shinobi of wind oh yeah, my god i love one. throwing those into purple control decks yeah. like you can just trade minions it feels so good it's great oh it's great it what is think, great what do you think the least used one is i i was gonna say it's the least used is probably either the uh divination smite. one it's no. it's gotta be smite no no, no, I, no, no. I feel smite like i smite i see all the time it's gotta be the one that creates what's the one that, that creates oh uh, reconstruct yeah reconstruct, that's gotta yeah. be it right i hardly see that one ever yeah. I've seen it a little bit more lately because of the fact that uh, people want to put things on the board and then get value off of them. I saw I actually saw a reconstruct deck that used a lot of um, it was it was basically a blue enchantment deck that used reconstruct to just drop little stairways and stuff <laughs> oh yeah so yeah. that one one was a four four that one you know and then when That's you crazy. when you finally clean up the board you're you're staring down a uh an earth slide or something but they use the the spider's web and just re reconstruct on it every turn so you yeah. have to go through a deadly minion every time and i was like god damn that is a very that's a good idea <laughs> that's a great yeah. complimentary well there you go like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah because if you're not playing out of your graveyard who the hell cares about what you're banishing out oh yeah there, yeah right? yeah yeah it's just another resource why not yeah, because then your opponent spends all of those turns answering the four four or the deadly minions this and that and then like they they play their board wipe, they do something else just to answer tokens, and then you slap down like Hyperborean or whatever it is on one of your enchantments. And now what are you gonna do against that? You spent all of your answers. The only thing is it, it costs three though. Dead. It costs three mana. That's the only downside it does. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like to me, reconstruct is a late a later game option, anyways, because you need something out of your graveyard to to banish in order to create one. And you're using that three mana 
on on yeah. setting up. That was to me yeah. reconstruct is great late game because you're always desperate to have some type of board development. So you might be creating a snake here or there, but if you're playing predominantly blue and enchantments, I mean throwing a you know you have a couple singing singing stones up, you throw down. Uh, a reconstruct onto it like 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 waifu said like a stairway or or even like a splicing lab or something you know you yeah or even demolition speedway whatever you want like it's all good oh splicing lab is actually a good one to throw down there too well you it's know, good for people who don't have the rng you know gods crapping all over their head like i do i think <laughs> if, if we're gonna talk about splicing lab and this might be a good tangent it's that if we're counting the the ways it could screw you, it could give you fragile, it could give you like minus one, minus one, it could give you uh, immobile, and it can give you ephemeral. I think that those are the only ways it can screw you versus the dozen ways that it can help you. So it'll always have you. It's always well in your favor to help you out, unless you're me. I think I I had I remember because <laughs> I would always just like. Slide. Speaking of impel, I used to have a deck where my my snakes on the lane deck would have splicing labs next to snake dens. So I would just create a snake, slide it over to the splicing lab, and then just build up these, like you know. Oh, so these, you built a laboratory. Cool. <laughs> precisely. Perfect. For Halloween. Yeah. I was working in the lab exactly, yeah. and I, I I cannot count the amount of times I'd be like, all right. Snake goes to the right and it's dead. Like, you know, like <laughs> that would that's probably the worst target you could put in there because of the negative one potential. You know? <laughs> or, or you just slam it on there and it's like, okay, now it's immobile. Thank you. And then next turn, oh, it's dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> perfect. No. Or you yeah. get immobile, then swift just to laugh at you and <laughs> say, oh, God. But that's great. Like reconstruct as the like the least used one, and here we are discussing these really you know interesting ways to use in, it. And uh, back in alpha, uh, back when fires of creation, early fires of creation alpha was you used to play all the colors. That's how that that's how that deck was ran. So you would play all the colors because you're playing every single artifact basically, and people would run that power. That would be the power that was with it. That was like the only time you would see it. Um, and now you just don't see it ever. <laughs> so it's kind of weird how fires went from an all in color deck to like people just now nah, you got to put stretcher and that's it. It's just stretcher. Mm, don't, don't talk. Don't talk. Crap Nothing wrong with stretcher. stretcher. Nothing wrong with stretcher. I'm just saying it's interesting how <laughs> things evolve that way. I, but uh, but I think that's just because I, I it's just interesting to see what people try to come up with to pair paths and powers together. And I mean, no better way to discuss that or like, you know, how paths and powers sort of complement each other is the fact that uh, they fit in into so many different decks in creative ways, as we discussed with Reconstruct. But this the, the tournament meta that we looked at and seeing how diverse it was, I think, Mark, you mentioned that prior to the the the, the nerfing of Orphim of Horrors, there was an onslaught of these red purple rush decks, right? Yeah, that was actually the biggest concern that everybody had right before the uh the patch came out because they were concerned that they wouldn't have enough time uh, between patch and when the the, the uh, due date was for uh, turning in their decks. They wouldn't have enough time to come up with something else. And I, I kept assuring people, don't worry, the, the patch isn't going to mess with your deck that hard. It's okay. And, uh, you know, luckily there was <laughs> enough time for everyone to fix everything. But you, it was so many red purples in the, in the first submission of decks that I can't believe how many people ended up changing their deck just because of that one thing. Uh, but I'm actually glad that they did because we got such a different diverse, as we see from the statistics, we got such a different diverse uh, uh, meta in that tournament because of it. So it actually yeah. ended up being a blessing in my in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think that the timing on that nerf was like couldn't have been better. Like looking at it, like I didn't pay attention to the tournament as it came out because I've been super busy with um with magic and with uh, dungeon crawl stone soup. There's a tournament going on right now that I'm Ooh. taking part in. Um, it's like a roguelike thing, but um, like I wasn't able to really pay attention. But I'm glad that the top eight was so split. Like I love that they're just all kinds of different color combinations in the top eight. And after breaking down the statistics uh, that you shared with us from Corey Millhouse, like, I'm just glad that it's, it's diverse, like for the first, like kind of big tournament for it. Yeah. That was a great showing, right? It was a good way to show how, how exciting tournament mode in with this game can be. Although the only thing I will say is the finals were long. Like the second game in the finals was, was almost like over 20 minutes. It was super long. But I, I kind of like that because not necessarily that they're like extended long, like these 20 to 30 minute games. I mean, that could kind of get a little bit over the top. But the fact that Orpheum got the hit that it did, and again, I don't think it got nerfed into Oblivion where it's a laughable card. I think that the spirit of the card itself, the actual you know identity of the card exists and still is there. I think that the plus one is not what that card's about. The card is about dying on to the on the Orpheum and creating the 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 AoE effect. But d- so we're in agreement that it was a good thing to nerf it. And uh, is is even though like I said, like people will bring all kinds of random, you know, weird stuff into a tournament, like a, a low stakes tournament like this, I suppose was. I mean there were stakes but they were relatively low stakes. It's not like it was a $10,000 tournament where people were going to make sure that they they had their best shot at it. But still, people brought in a, a, a bunch of decks, but it's not just a matter of the, the craziness and jank that people brought in. It's the fact that even that the wide array made it to the finals. So was this nerf the best possible thing to happen to the competitive scene and the 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 you know the ranked scene that some people will tell you yes and there's a whole group that will tell you no (laughs) so it's right down (laughs) the middle really yeah so is the next quite sorry go ahead well i was about to say like now that i know that it's been nerfed and stuff um like i'm more apt to jump on ladder like before when with Mythguard, i was basically just like i'd switch over from magic and just knock out my dailies versus like bots or something because i didn't want to deal with the hyper aggro that i was used to you know Mm -hmm. Um, cause even taking measures against the hyper aggro, I'd still lose a lot of the times. And it was, um, a huge percentage of what I was playing against. So I was just discouraged to even play ladder because of it. So I'm yeah. glad that the change happened. There's definitely uh, an element here to, to keep in mind. And, and, and this is, I'm kind of going to direct this towards everyone that's upset about the, the nerf. You have to understand that it feels, even though you may be looking for the best deck, you know, you're new to the game, you want the best deck, understandable. You want to climb with the best thing out there, whatever is the friendliest to make, that's great. That's going to happen no matter what game you join. But you have to understand that when you're constantly, when you're gr- trying to grind in a game, you're constantly playing as the same thing over and over and over and over. That's what gives a meta and other players super big fatigue. And I think that Rhino wanted to cut that fatigue out immediately because the game is so new that it's too early to have meta fatigue when the meta just started, you know? I mean, you want metas that are diverse, that have several different tier one decks, not just one powerful tier one deck and that's it. That's not a healthy meta. Healthy meta has at least like right three or four or five different tier one decks, you know? 
Right. Like if I can cut in like right now with magic, the reason why I split off to limited instead of constructed is because of the standard meta. Like if you look at the last um, championship, I think it was something like 70% Golo stacks, um, oh, which is yeah. insane. Yeah. Like that's a big percentage. Oh my God. It was, I and think then, it was, it was like 50, uh, sorry, 48% played Golos field. Uh, yeah. and, God. and there was 80, 80 plus percent that were, had green as their, uh, as their color disgusting. of choice. That's disgusting. Yeah. And it's like right now, Oko is really popular with Simic Foods. So I've just been in my own little world with limited, like learning that. And I've been having fun with that. I've been able to stream it without any uh, any stress at all. But like the thought about jumping back into standard right now is just a little, like it's daunting. It's almost depressing, you know? And it's like, I'd rather just play Mythgard on my free time. And I'm glad that I don't have to deal with the same type of... Um, you know, meta type thing, and I can yeah. still enjoy magic through limited. Like, I'm glad that I came to a nice, um, like, medium for both the games, you know? Yeah, you don't want to queue into a game and then, like, two turns in, you're like, well, I know I'm going to lose now because of what they're playing. Like, that's the worst feeling ever. You know, like, especially for Mythgar, when the game, what we found out the average game was nine and a half minutes. Like, I don't want to sit here for nine and a half minutes where I ultimately know I'm going to lose at the end. Like, you, you got to have some sort of fighting chance or, you know, and that that's the issue. That's what we, that's what you want to avoid. Yeah, like I'll take a forty five percent lose chance against aggro if I'm playing control and I'm a little slow versus one control deck. But if I have to go against the same type of aggro that I have, you know, a thirty percent win rate against, it's just yeah, it's exactly. Rough. And actually, I think now if uh, if we look at like kind of what we just talked about, the aggro in Mythgard actually spread out now. So it was all red purple for there for a while with the Orpheum. But now a lot of the aggro I've seen kind of spread into other colors. So they're mixing red and there's more red and orange going on. I've seen a couple red and blue. Like it's kind of it kind of spread out now as people are like, well, I guess I'm not going to play Orpheum. And they and they've like found other ways to do it. Um, so I think that's actually way better. You want different types of aggro, not just one defined aggro. Yeah. And like for all the people complaining about the nerfs too, um, like it's like even if you spend some resources on a deck and it gets nerfed, um, especially now with the faction quests like being introduced and stuff, like it's it's so nice to be able to like gather more resources and spend your time efficiently that way too. Like it's just such it's in a, such a good spot right now. It's nice. Definitely. No, there's a there's there's a bigger window now for new people. I think Rhino really hit it out of the park when it came to being a little bit more generous uh, and appealing to a new player who has just discovered Mythgard because you know the 99 mythics is always going to be um a stain on an otherwise really really shiny product unfortunately yeah. it's going to be daunting when you look and you see that there's there's just so many mythics in order to um to collect but again you don't need 99 mythics to be successful you just need maybe two or three 99 mythics but your deck just needs one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> exactly that's if, if ever jay-z wanted to you know support the channel <laughs> and create that kind of that song for us that parody version but um i mean there's there's always going to be consequences to ner nerfing a card too hard um, and obviously the, the consequence to the card itself never being played or seen again. We've seen that in all kinds of other games and whatnot where a card is predominantly featured in the meta and then all of a sudden tweak to it and, and it just goes, banishes itself. Wow, that's when they nerf it. it to hell, right? They didn't do that right. here, though. They didn't nerf the card to, to Oblivion. It's still playable for sure. It's not like yeah, I think, they took away all the I think, power. 
right? Like I think you can still make like a really interesting deck that uses like horrors and then you use like blight or, or bite, I think is what it's called in green to give all of your dudes like armor and then to trade away your other minions like and just to do board like one-sided board wipes even like there's still a lot of intricate plays that you can do with the card, which is awesome. I yeah, feel like the card might the card might actually be more of a, a mid range to control card now. Uh, before yep. the a, the aggressive aspect of it was that you just trade in your 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 rush minions through the the Orpheum, and if it was left untouched, you'd have the bonus of the plus one. And I think maybe that is where a lot of the the grief comes when it uh, when it has to do with the, the nerf is that now there's a less of a uh, an up trade when you challenge the Orpheum, but challenging the Orpheum, uh, or sorry, when, you, when you're not challenging the Orpheum, but you know, now challenging the Orpheum is, challenging an Orpheum of Horrors before was bad because you think that you're doing some good, a good thing by challenging uh, that. But no, I mean, don't you, ever block Orpheum. <laughs> don't no, block don't block Orpheum. <laughs> uh, so, but we've seen nerfs happen in the past where the card itself is the, the main, um, you know, victim of of how hard it was nerfed. But in other scenarios, and I'll use magic as an example here, when they banned Field of the Dead, Field of the Dead being fifty oh, percent of the meta, all that did was <laughs> it just opened up for another overpowered card to be the the even worse transgressor of a very narrow and oppressive meta. And in this case, a lot of people were saying if Orpheum was gone, it just means that that deck, there's going to be no deck that can fly fast enough to get underneath yellow, uh, yellow-green Volition combo. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No, uh, I know I the new combo. Every- I got the new combo for you because I saw it oh, several God. times yesterday. Okay, it's Star- Stairway to Hell with... Uh, Putting a rush, usually the the one that's the uh, the plane and the dragon. I forgot what it's called. The wire you know iron belly. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, you put that one on there, and then you you give it volition once it's got the the uh, the double hit, <laughs> <laughs> and that one is just like, oh my god, that's so infuriating. <laughs> it gets to hit you four times. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that the new crazy nasty, combo I saw. Yeah, that is some nasty stuff, but. I don't think that volition in that like people were literally losing their minds and saying it's going to be a volition meta and it's no, going to be a volition it's city. It's not. But I it, rarely see it. it and really I mean, you not. can also you can also take measures versus it too. Like if they're using their graveyard as a tool, just put Grawl in your deck or whatever his name is, the one that can just exile things from. Oh the grave. yeah, that like, shuts down know, reanimator. There's so much you can do. Yeah, for it sure. shuts down reanimator and then it shuts down volition too because you're just mm-hmm. eating cards away. Because they, they take a while to get going, so like unless they want to spend a lot of resources or resources in general killing your dude that can answer the graveyard, then like you know you, you're doing something and then you're slowing them down anyway, which is nice. So we'll see how this one pans out, but I think that the the panic that was setting in for people thinking that they were going to be existing in a in a volition you know environment is it's pretty much subsided because yeah I think it's it calmed been, down. Yeah, it's been a few days, and people have in the in the wake of the tournament seeing that. Okay, Volition might have won, but it didn't sweep. It lost a game in every best of three series, and it was one point away from losing the finals. It was one life point away. Yeah, literally one yeah. life point away. Here's the, here's like if you if you're upset about, and I I know how this sounds because we we just keep defending it. But <laughs> honestly, if you if you if you get a, ever in the future you're upset about a nerf or or whatever a buff or something, the the best way to look at if it was a good idea or not is. How did the how did the players who were in like champion rank or tournament grinders how did they react? And as we saw with Masquerade and with uh, 
most of the people in Champion and, and uh, Mythic Rig, they didn't really care. <laughs> you know, like, it was kind of like a, huh, okay, so that card got changed, and that was kind of the attitude. And it's like, if that's the attitude that high up, then we you shouldn't really be that upset. Of, like, you shouldn't be that concerned, because it means everything's going to be fine, and that, that didn't change the game forever, you know? So... <laughs> Let's just all take it down a notch. Let it settle. We'll find new cards. There's 99 mythic cards. Like we just said, there's tons of cards to play around with. So we'll find something new. So in that case, are there any other cards you feel should get a nerf or a tweak? Uh, I, I've been saying this one for a while, and I think that um, I've talked to a lot of people about it. Seal of Exile, you know, drives me absolutely batshit crazy. I think that Seal of Exile should be a gold card. That's my only... And that's not, I guess that's a little bit of a nerf, but I just think it should be a gold card. I tend to agree with you on that one. I think if the Seal of Exile has significant uh, implications to a deck, there's no better feeling and there's no better power move than Seal of Exile on curve against a, uh, yeah. a, ro- a Necromantic. Yeah. That and is the absolute <laughs> most devastating. I know, I know it's the worst. One. I, but everyone always says to me, whenever I say that, they're like, well, everyone... Most people only run two. And first of all, how do you know? And second of all, but you can run three. So that's the thing. Like, sure, most people may run two, but I could also put a third one in. And that's where it becomes like the person that's running the third exile. Like, oh, I just I'm just going to concede because I've been exiled three times. Forget it. So this is purely a move from hmm. it's just a, emotion, it's a passion. It? Emo- yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if, if well, that was my other argument, too. Like if most people are already running two anyway, then why not just make it a gold card? Well, you don't want to add any more rares to the... Yeah, to the like, thing. you you add a rare, and then you take away a budget option for someone to be able to deal with it. Like, someone just starting out, and they use their rare cards on, like, parry, because parry's really, really good. Um, they're not going to have a lot of resources after that. Like, the faction quest, of course, gives you one parry. Um, I think that if you were to make Seal of Exile a rare, it would still have to be in the faction quest as a rare, and you still have to keep parry in there, which would be kind of kind of unfair. Yeah, But yeah. like the way that I look at something like Seal of Exile, where it's a powerful card, you know that your opponent's going to have it at some point in the game, so you can like work to bait that out, or just not play the thing that they want to seal for a really long time, making them lose value, and maybe they burn it instead um, for late game. Like, there's a lot of ways you can play around it in a way. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Because it's super obvious. It's not a card that people are like not going to run unless they're sure. doing like a three color oh, deck wait, or something. When I see orange. When I say yeah. orange, I know you have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like an auto-include in orange. So. Which yeah. is a nice little tidbit to actually note here is that isn't it great that you could see what gets burnt from your opponent and not just the yeah. color? Yeah, that's great because think of if it was the other way around. Like, imagine if you couldn't see what they burned. Wouldn't that just be <laughs> way harder? Like, that would just be, like, almost impossible like to, to And I love it happening. because you can... You can like bait people like you burn one of your thunderclaps and it's like, oh, he got rid of his thunderclap. I can go wide. And then you yeah, just get, yeah, you have another Magnus or you get thunderclapped again. Like it's I, so cool. I used to do the cataclysm. I'd burn one if I had both in hand so that they think, oh, yeah. good, he's not going to do that now. And then the second one comes out next turn. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's my favorite. I think one of my best moments that I've ever done was, and again, my best moments are all about, you know, it's not about winning a game. It's about winning a moment or winning like a, 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 a turn. And it was basically uh, m- my opponent was playing Seasons and I burnt a – I knew that he was going into winter and he had uh, a f- like a bunch of garbage on the board. It was red-blue and he had a, a two Fire Eaters 
And oh, I hate I those. Just, oh my god! I could Fire. not. <laughs> I could not touch them. So I had two thunderclaps in hand, and I burnt one. And after, like, I played what I had to play. I had nothing to play, so I pretended that I could not do anything. So I purposely did not play anything. And I knew he was going into winter. And then I just, I, I just burnt thunderclap and passed. And then he said, "Oops!" and BM. <laughs> flooded the board with two uh, another fire eater and another like and a like an iron belly wyvern and like it dumped his hand and i ate sh- i ate shit for that one turn like i took a bunch of damage but then i thunderclapped him through winter and killed all his dudes and it was the best feeling did in the you world. say did you say oops back yeah i I, would. I of course i did but i yeah i, I enjoyed it like i lit a candle i you know i poured a glass of wine and I, like, <laughs> you relished the moment like, yes Oh, so like, I love when people get greedy on winter. That's my favorite thing. I'm always like, please just play everything you have. Just just be overconfident in this moment because there is some hurt coming next turn. <laughs> I love that. That's why I switched to disc. Like I'm going to try to switch to disc, even if it's a splash like um, Honorick was. Uh, he, he made a list that is basically his um, orange purple control with peach. And then he's splashing green just for like, I think, I think it's something like two wakes and two born agains. And you just use it for disc value. And I think that I want to take that and just kind of do what I can with, with different combinations and stuff. I think that purple green's my favorite shell for it just to have anyway, but the splash seems really interesting too. But I, I hate winter. A lot of people were talking <laughs> yeah, about how there, you know, green was identified by like three key cards where no matter what ha- what deck you were building whatever shell you were playing be it if you're playing you know yellow blue or you know red orange or whatnot people would actually play like two copies of bald mountain and two copies of wake the bones and that's yep. it and it's just just a splash for that one one gem because wake the bones and bald mountain are exceptionally powerful and it's worth the four or five card slots and the early burn to have that in the in the late game where it really really matters because it's it's amazing that these are cards that uh are, are splash worthy just to sort of disrupt what's going on in the deck but like it's like a, a mono blue deck that's but plays four bulwarks because yeah it's great yeah, yeah um, i had i had a lot of experience doing that like you saw a lot of my lists where i just do like two wakes one ball they're two balls two wakes and the conclusion that I came to, like after doing it a lot, is that I usually lost to like more powerful enchantments, sometimes like Stairway uh, to Heaven or Stairway to Hell and then to Heaven and Back. Like people would just get more value than me sometimes, which was just insane because they would uh, either keep the monster off of Bald Mountain so I could never get value off of it, or it just never lined up for me. Like the burns were awkward. I wouldn't be able to find Bald Mountain when I needed it to. Um, be there for me and such like it was really weird uh, for me so unless I'm like in green nowadays I try not to just auto force the bald mountain anymore um, but I think the bald the the, uh, the born again and the wake the bones might become more popular with the with disc like just for the value so you don't have to play with with winter so you can be more predictable with with that stuff 
So I want to get into the faction missions because these are an addition that came out with the latest patch that dropped, I believe it was last Thursday, about a week ago or so. And there was a lot of discussion and I would say criticism. I think it's fair to say criticism and, and, and justified criticism to a degree that it's hard for a new player to come in and feel comfortable and feel like the games that they're playing mean something and matter because it, it, it's sometimes you're just getting smashed and beaten down on your journey to earning coin and whatnot. And as much coin as you might be earning early on, it wasn't like you were, it, you were not earning, it didn't feel good. So the income, the faction missions and the faction missions essentially are six other different missions per color, uh, blue, yellow, red, green, orange, purple. And as you progress through these different missions, the you earn, not only do you earn 600 gold per, but you also earn wild cards and actual cards that are are pretty good. They're not cards that are just, you know, throwaways. There's some pretty good cards in here. And now here's the statistics of everything that you get. And I want to go into a little bit about what we're getting out of this. But in terms of let's say you if you complete all uh, all of the missions, so there are nine quests per faction and six factions. If you complete all of them, you're earning 32,400 gold coins or, or coins. In terms of wild cards, you're earning 36 common, 30 uncommon, 12 rare, and 6 mythic spread equally between all the colors. Is that enough, including on top of all the cards that you're getting? Is that is is that the right frequency? Is that the, the Goldilocks zone for a new player to come in and say, I think I can do this. I think I could free to play this and feel good. Yeah, it was, it was meant to, I think originally it was meant for uh, new players specifically, right? Because it was meant for them to be able to build up their collection with the faction that they liked the most. Um, and then I saw someone, some people get upset about saying that they were, these are too hard. I can't complete it in 24 hours. It's like, well, you're not supposed to go through all of them in 24 hours. Right. <laughs> so it's supposed <laughs> to take you a while, but that that's the whole point. But I think they're specifically meant like especially the beginning for new players to kind of get their hands on their favorite faction and build up that collection. Cause I'm going through yellow right now and everything I keep getting, I'm like, well, I already have all this, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's, but I mean, people. that's still, it's still dust for, um, for older players oh, yeah, for yeah. one, like for me, it's, it all breaks down to essences. And then it also, I think for a new player, it's really important because um, if someone's checking out like a budget version of a deck or whatever color they're interested in, they get to play around with the cards in that color and they kind of get like um, nudged at in regards to, you know, what that color is about. Like, you know, red, like, you know, you're supposed to lose life in order to gain something out of it. So they tell you, you know, we'll lose X amount of life during a game because you're going to have to do this probably play in red. Uh, now gain some life, you know, get that life back. And they kind of teach you that you can gain life and, you know, draw cards. There's yeah, a yeah. Uh, teaching you how push to play the pull to it. Yeah, yeah. The so cards nice. that you're earning out of this as well are they're they're like I said, they're not they're not throwaways. These are not unplayable cards. I know that it, you know in, in Magic, a lot of the design around cards, a lot of them people will defend bad cards by saying, "Oh, it's for limited. It's for this. It's for that." And and there is actual draft in Mythgard. And I know that I was discussing. I played a lot of draft in the last couple of days and. I would pick a card and say, this is a draft card. This is a quote unquote arena card. Like 
this is a card that would never see play in constructed because there are better options. But in arena, when there's no immediate answers to things all the time, this is a, this card can run the table. Cards like snuggles and all that other stuff. Snuggles, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like don't, like take snuggles, man. Like you'll play it. It's the gem restrictions are not I think it's that huge, bad. man. See, snuggles is it's gigantic. The yep. nine nine, like yeah. hyperborean, hyperborean in arena is just in draft is just like you ever you ever done a reanimator with. You ever done reanimator with red? You throw snuggles in there. That's some surprising moments for your opponent. <laughs> You're disgusting. You disgust me. Um, so I, I want to go through at least like we can go through all the cards in each one of these. But I mean, I'm just going to go through the rares that you earn at the end of the the rainbow. Let's say in all of these. Now in blue, and I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the card, and I want you to rate the card on on ten in terms of how good this card is to that particular color. So we'll go, I'll name the card and you tell me, we'll start with waifu and then we'll go to Mark. So in blue, the rare you earn is Thunderclap. And at a scale of one to 10, how good is that card? I'd say it's probably like a seven or an eight, depending on your budget. Because a lot of blue lists don't run Thunderclap, they'll run Mag- uh, Magnus instead. But I think it's a really good, um, it's a really good card still. Like it's it, you can put it into most blue decks, but it doesn't fit in all of them. And it's really good to counter aggro, or like if you're going aggro versus aggro, like it's just a nice card to have. So I'd say I'd say it's a solid like seven point five. Mark, yeah, I'd probably put it around there. I'd probably even give it an eight, just because I I think it actually works well in most blue decks because it's an easy removal for uh. There's so many there's so many creatures that are a two, uh, have two health, and this one just. Nice board wise, especially when you get that greedy player on turn uh, going into winter. Thunderclap yep. is your best friend for three. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm gonna go along with the the same as you guys. I'm gonna go give it. I'm gonna give it an eight point five in terms of oh. what this card Ooh, can do. That's a little high. <laughs> I, uh, I think I, in terms of if you're going on a hierarchy of what rare cards have impact, I think that Thunderclap is a card that will fit into almost every single uh, blue deck that you. There's no wrong. There's no bad placement. Like. It, this deck fits into everything uh, that you're playing with blue, unless you're going for something very, very, very low end, like, you know, bottom and, you know, nothing greater than three kind of thing or nothing too slow. That I think I still feel like uh, Thunderclap fits into everything. So I think that uh, giving it a, I'll, I'll, I'll give it an 8.5. I'll get a little bit aggressive on it, but 8.5. All right. Into the yellow Olama ring. What would you rate that one? Um, if it's me, I would probably say like, and I'll probably like a six, six or a seven. I'm not really too impressed by it. Um, a lot of the times when I go to play it, like even in like the the snake decks and everything else where you're going super wide. Um, now that the format's kind of slowed down a bit, it might be a little bit better because if before it would just die to horrors, like before you got a board state going, before you could give your minions plus one plus one, uh, there wouldn't be any minions. So maybe it's a little bit better now, but um it's probably like a six for me. Mark. Uh, yeah, so yellow is my favorite faction, so uh, I do like uh, Olama Ring a lot, or as you call it, Obama Ring. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would kind of agree that it, it, it's a slower card because it's a four for two uh, gems, which is a bit expensive, especially mm-hmm. if you're not playing mono yellow. Uh, so it'll take you a while to be able to use it. Um, so I would probably give that card about, I'd, I'd probably give it maybe a 5.5 or a 6, just because it's... Um, it's a powerful card when you get to use it, but it's such a late game card, in my opinion, that um, it's always you're always going to end up burning it early on. 
I'm going to give this card a, uh, a 6.5. And I'm not trying to one-up you guys every single time. What is it, um, the price is right? I, uh, <laughs> 101 um, penny. Yeah, um, the, reason, the reason why I like this card, and not just because I've played it so often, is because when you're playing yellow, at least when I play yellow, usually you're playing towards a longer game and outvaluing and, and survivability of minions and getting that Olama ring with the value of things like... Um, if you're playing on curve, you can get Yahui out, you can get uh, a Miso Libre out or a Snake out, and then if you're safe enough, you can Olama Ring and really sort of go far. It's not a, de- a card that you want to top deck when nothing's going your way, unless you have a full board, but at the same time, and it's a pretty slow card, but at the same time, I think that it, when it comes to playing those control matchups or those mid-range versus control, this is a card that can kind of put you over the top and kind of push a little bit harder than your opponent. Uh, it's it's still not a card that you want to build around or that's going to solve many problems for you. So I think a 6.5 is is still um, a fair assessment. But what about Extract Life? Uh, Wait, hold on. I was going to say one more thing. I was going to say one more thing about Lovering. Go for it. Go for it. All right, you you want first. to go? Okay. Uh, I was just going to say that it's really great in Fires of Creation because, uh, especially when you get to stack it. Um, uh, so that is, the, you like, for me, if I'm doing Fires of Creation, I want yellow. Alamaring is obviously 100% in, and that's a great card for that deck. Um, what I was going to say is in the spot instead of Ring, I'd rather see Misanthropia 100%. Oh, yeah, that'd like, be great. And that, yeah, for sure. and that would be like a, that'd be a nine. I think that's Maybe. one of yellow's probably strongest rares, right? That's like yeah. a super awesome clear. And I think giving away one wouldn't be too bad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's well, just a more applicable card. Most yellow decks run one to two of those. Mm-hmm. So. I think you get it in, do you not get it in the uh, the story mode? I have no idea. I haven't oh. done that in yeah, like no, a they, year. <laughs> they al- yeah, so they, they already they already give it away as part of one of the standard missions. Oh, maybe. Game, so. Okay. Ah, so that's a standard okay. card. But you're absolutely okay. correct. When it comes to yellow rare cards, Misanthropia, if I were to rate that, to me, Misanthropia would have been like a 9 or a that, 10 on 10. That's an auto-include okay. in mono-yellow for sure. Yeah. That's a mono-yellow yeah, auto-include. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to go on to Extract Life. And Waifu, what would you rate this card in terms of... Extract uh, Life? I would say it's at least like an 8 or a 9. Um, it's a really good card. It's um, it's removal that can tempo out. And um, it, it's it's good in aggro sometimes, and it's also good in control. It's definitely good in mono red, for sure, because you don't have to struggle with the three gems. And it kind of pays for the um, the Icarfests and stuff. So I would say that it's just really nice removal that comes with a bonus. So I like it. Uh, it's yeah. It, it, again, it's an expensive one, right? Three three gems. So uh, if you're doing mono red, definitely you want to put that in there. I think if you run two of those, it's a that's a little hefty. So if you throw one in, that's a nice uh, nice addition. I actually ran this card in a fires deck, <laughs> and I also ran it uh, in a in a deck that I was trying to use heavy spell removal. Um, but the value, if you get to use it on a very large unit, the value on it uh, for gaining the life is really good. Um, so I would probably, uh, are we still giving it scores, right? I'd probably give this card, um, I've, I've put it in the seven range. I'm going to put this one in the seven range just because of it's, it's a little expensive. Yeah, I'll give it a 7.5. I think that this card fits into, it'll fit into rush decks because of the fact that it's it's three red gems, but at the same time you could use it on any mana that you have. Uh, and the added bonus of removal and life gain is enough of a swing to keep you in and remove what you need. So you can get creative with how this card is played. It's it's a control card as well as fits into uh, a, you know a mid range or aggro for variant two. 
Uh, I just think that there are better removal uh, spells than this. Obviously, I think that Crimson Pact is the way that you want to go, but you get that in the uncommon slot on your path there. Um, if this was Magmator, but you get Magmator, I believe, from the story mode again. So yeah. um, I would probably have preferred to see this card be something like Ringmaster uh, or... Um, or Wings of Abaddon. Yeah, I think that those would have been better options uh, for this. But I still think that Extract Life is good. I just feel like it doesn't necessarily fit into what what Red was going for there. Because, I mean, if you're looking at it, the, the, the path there to get to Extract Life has Trapezist, Iron Belly, and Panic Raider. So you get all this Rush, <laughs> yeah. Rush, Rush, and then suddenly you have a control card at the end. So it's like, what? 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 Okay, sure. You know, uh, but that's what you get on that. Any final sort of remarks on Extract Life? Um, I think that's pretty much, I'm good with that. I've used it in a few control decks here and there, like Red Green or something, but I do think it's more of a control card, not really a, um, an aggro card. And they do build up the aggro there in the, uh, like you said, in the progression for the for the quest. So does seem kind of out of place. All right, so how about we go to green? Green's uh, green's gold or rare prize is Bald Mountain. So what would you give that on 10, Waifu? I'd probably say like an 8.5. Like it's very, very good, and it goes in any type of like... Uh, I would say if you're mid-range to control, it's good. It's probably not the best in aggro. Um, unless you're doing some type of combo aggro with like um, the recursionist, like the blue-green person where you get spells back. But even then, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because you give all of your spells Imperial, so it doesn't really fit in there. So I'd say like if you're running control and you're you're going in for the long game, sometimes you can even splash for this like people have been doing since like 1997. So it's pretty good. <laughs> I don't really Marky. have a good. I don't have a good opinion on this one because I know I've not. I haven't used this card very much. Green is probably one of the outside of animator. Green is probably reanimator. Green's probably the least that I've played. Um, so I really only stick to reanimator situations with green. So I, I don't really have like a really great opinion on Bald Mountain. But um, if you're playing like a rainbow deck, this is this would be a nice one to throw in there. Uh, if you're doing heavy, uh, heavy. Uh, elements. Um, this seems like a good card, but I I hesitate to give it a score because I. I feel like I can't do it justice because I don't play it enough myself. All right. Well, I, 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 abstaining from voting is, is a noble cause <laughs> as well. I'll, I'll give this one an eight on 10. I think it has exceptional use for what green likes to do, which is play uh, more mid to late game as well as bringing stuff back. I mean, there's a lot of powerful cards that green plays and being able to, and a lot of them are spells and being able to bring them back. For instance, like Wake the Bones and then use your Wake the Bones to bring back a short stag, which then could bring back God knows what else. But there's really good implications for uh, getting more mileage off of these big cards. Bald Mountain is uh, really, really good. I think an 8 or an 8.5 for that bad boy is good. So, so far, Bald Mountain is probably the best one so far out of them. But this means that we're going to orange. And I know that you were already talking about how great Perry at the gates were, uh, is for orange. Now on a scale of one to 10 waifu Perry at the gates is the gold prize for orange. Yeah. I would say it's a 10 going back to bald mountain for just a second though. Yeah. I yeah, think sure. that uh, murmurs should get inferior just period. Like murmurs should just have inferior. You shouldn't be able to do that more than once per game, even as an advocate for green players. I love green. Um, you shouldn't be able to murmur twice. It's it's ignorant. It's insane. 
that is you know what's funny is that a lot of the discussion about some of these cards that i've had with people uh has been like i'll get massive messages randomly like how is this card how does this card not give ephemeral like or how does this card not you know or how come when something comes back to the board via graveyard effect like junkyard valhalla or a necromantic how come the awaken effect takes place like why is that you know there's all kinds of these little uh pieces that we kind of overlook but i agree with you i think that traitorous murmur should likely be an ephemeral uh an ephemeral card just from the get-go yep but yeah parry is just insane i think it's it it I don't know if it needs to get like nerfed per se. I think that it's it's fine the way that it is. A lot of people say that they would run parry at the gates even if it didn't have a uh, creature attached to it, which is pretty good. Um, so if that gives you any wow. inclination, it's definitely the um, the go to like craft. I think for for orange, as soon as you go into orange, you definitely craft parry. Um, that's your first that's your first priority, just because it gives you so much card advantage. When I'm not playing like orange in my control list. I usually miss the draw power from um, Perry. The the close second is like raid the tombs for green because it's so easy to cast and you just kind of, uh, you know, draw two cards for two mana and that's good. It's like pot of greed. It's nice. But Perry, Perry is just a blocker. Uh, you can recur through wake the bones. Like there's a lot of recursion for her. She's just, just really solid. I like it a lot. Marky? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, this is a, auto include in orange right i mean uh, i think almost every list that had orange at uh masquerade played this card uh so uh i mean this is i would probably put it at a i don't want to give anything a perfect score so i'll say it's a nine <laughs> it's just because i don't want to give anything a perfect score but uh just because it's an auto include and everything it's it's kind of cheap you know it's only four for two but it's but the ability that it has is like crazy you know you're drawing two you're drawing a card then you're getting to pick uh, a card to draw you know it's just um I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? I mean, yellow yeah. or uh, orange just has great uh, card draw with this with this in it. All right, I'm gonna totally be that guy and give it a nine point five to just wedge between <laughs> these two. Um, again, just, just the right in between. <laughs> just just to sort of slide in between there. Uh, Parry at the gates is a phenomenal card because I don't think that there's a really ever a bad time to play it. If it's late game, it's a godsend to sort of refill your hand. The fact that you get to draw, then davenate that or you know davenation for two. And then, or is it two or three? I think it's two. two. And then pick the next card that you want. It's exceptionally good. Uh, not to mention, if you are playing it on curve, it might seem slow. But typically, if you are worried about falling behind on turn four, it's probably because you're playing against a rush deck and a 2-2 blocker is not the worst thing in the world, even at that stage. So I think that it's a really, really good card. And before we close the books on Perry at the Gates, any last thoughts on it? Um, I think you could probably nerf it okay and just make it like draw two cards without the divination, but you kind of lose the flavor that orange has at that point. Like, I don't know, it's hard to say because they have some other like unique cards that sort of divinate, like um, the, uh, the uh, Ifrit and such and Ifrit. Yeah. yeah, so it's sort of like thematic. So I can kind of see not wanting to take that away, but it's, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, shall we wrap it up and go to purple with the pentacle of flavors? I'm sure. So this card, like it's really hard to play in a lot of lists. Like you really have to have the right creatures for it, like something that can tank, something that has armor or something where um, you can kind of get a lot of staying power out of it. Or like if you have Bald Mountain in your deck, you can recur it, which is nice. Um, but it's sort of... 
it, it, it struggles to find a home like it. None of the top eight lists that I saw had it, you know, for example, um, it's just really hard to uh, find a home for like, I've tried to experiment with it here and there, but a lot of the times when I'd post a list to like either, uh, not you, I don't think I, maybe I didn't post it to you flake, but like to Honorick or some other people like Toonstar and whatnot, like they're just like, ah, I don't know if this card really fits. And it, that card was usually uh pentacle. So I would probably give it like a five. That's a fair one. I can't mark. Let's, let's talk about what it does, right? It gives a minion armor one, focus two, regen three, slayer four, and blast five. There's a lot going on with this card. It's a pentacle of flavors. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a tough card to uh, work into a deck like uh, Wife you said, because it's, um, I don't really see this card played very often. Um, it, it's, uh, I think purple is, is such a, a nice support faction as it is. So this just adds to it. Uh, but, uh, uh, what's the cost on this one? It's a four for, uh, two gems, which isn't too, isn't too bad. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and place this one at a, uh, at a six because I think the ability is really crazy, but I also think that it's, uh, like you said, very, um, specific with how you could use this into a deck. So I'm going to give this a four if it was constructed <laughs> and like an eight, if this Oof. was just, if it was just draft, cause this is what she, this is a draft killer. This sure. is a card. <laughs> absolutely devastates draft but um in terms of constructed like you said it's a really difficult card to fit in uh and, and have effectively because the situations where this card really can shine it depends on what the board state is and then whenever a card is dependent on a specific board state it's it, it loses its reliability and thus loses its appeal for um you know the strength of a deck it's a great card to fit in when you can have it because this card can win you games alone if it cannot be ma uh, met but in certain cards where you're uh, certain games you're already behind this card will might be able to get you out of a jam but but it at what cost probably to at a bad trade that you have to make where you're not really getting the value of it for four uh for four mana and what it does it's great it sounds cool but i don't think that it's reliable enough uh, on its own uh you know where it can fit into any game state that it's it's that great so i'll give it a four on ten making it in my opinion uh the weakest link out of all six rare uh prizes from the faction missions any last thoughts on the pentacle of flavors oh, really. start with that. all right well we had a pentacle of opinions on it too we did <laughs> Uh, all right, so we are going to be uh, wrapping up real quick here, but I do want to do one quick thing, and this is going to be a lightning round, and we're just going to just five words or less. Uh, I want to go through each color, and if there was going to be a mythic prize at the end of each faction, which mythic would you choose to award after the rare? So we're going to go with blue and waifu. Uh, Magnus. Mark. I would agree, Magnus. I would say Braggy for that okay, one. Okay, Braggy's also good. All right, in yellow, what would you give? Probably Sapo. <laughs> We're going to be... We might be in agreement this whole time because I was also going to say Sapo. <laughs> I was going to say uh, Zalea, but I I was between Zalea and Sapo, but I think Sapo is the right answer on that one. It's it's kind of like insta, insta lock. All right, in red? Uh, Stairway, to hell, uh, Stairway to Hell, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good one. Um, let me think of a different one then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It could be the same. It just it's um, the exercise here is to, to show that there are just some cards that are all, like you know just synonymous with the color, like Instacrafts almost. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another. I, I guess I'll say Stare in the Hell because I can't think of another one off the top of my head that's a really uh, big one that I see all the time. So 
Let's just go. With, well, I'll go with Stairway to Hell as well. All right, I like that one. I was going to go with Seven Ring Ritual on this Ooh, one. That's oh, a good okay, one yeah, too. That's good. All right, that's in, in green, uh, Stag, the Chad Stag, Chad Stag. I think I was because Stag again is a great one, but I was trying to think of another uh, uh, one that uh, Reanimator uses besides Stag. Oh, what's the other one? That's the uh, the ten ten. Is that the ten ten guy? Yeah, that's the one who makes someone immobile. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's the one I'll say then. That's Icky Thump. Yeah. All right. So Ico Terso says, Mark, I will also go with short stag. I think short stag is banana cakes. All right. We'll start with Mark this time. All right. Okay. Orange. <laughs> I wish I could say Seal of Exile, but that's not a mythic. <laughs> um, oh boy, because I never played. Oh, you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say my other card that I hate the most, only because it's a great board clear. I'm gonna go with Armageddon Angel. Yeah, Armageddon is really good. That that would be my go-to. Um, if I had to pick a different one, I would say um, to Heaven and Back. Oh, that's a good. Oh, so that's this good is the first too, time yeah. we're we're all on different pages. I'm gonna say Scion of Pride. I think that. Ooh, that okay. yeah, that's that one's a good, a good one too. Yep. All right, now the hard one. Purple. Purple. Um, geez, I'd have to look over one of my lists. Um, it's weird because this is a color that a lot of people just, the per, like the, the mythics in it are in purple. I think, like- I think the most universal one that I see a lot, and this is just for control players, I would say, um, I would say reincarnation is Jackie. really nice. I, I'm going to go off the beaten path and I'm going to go ahead and say fast lane. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just because say, I, I don't <laughs> see it enough. I don't want to see more of it. <laughs> I'm going to say perfect grade because it's one of the few that I can name off the top of my head and can actually recite the stats for it. So I'm going to say perfect grade. It also fits with like okay. the, it's, you know, it's a big like mech kind of like Power Rangers Zordon yep. kind of Zord <laughs> thing. So it's used in um, Reanimator uh, too, which is really nice. Yeah. Big boy decks. I like that. Maybe I'll play that tomorrow just to piss people off. But uh, there you go. And it's Halloween tomorrow, I guess, at the time of us recording this. So. Might as well play a horrible deck for Halloween. <laughs> okay all right well well that wraps it for the topics we are going to go to the mailbag before we end this but before we do we're just going to hear some words from our sponsors at inked gaming this episode of the boneyard podcast is brought to you by inked gaming if you're looking for a one-stop shop for gaming accessories we suggest heading over to inkedgaming.com inked gaming features both custom and store art playmats dice bags pc gaming mouse pads and tons more Recently, Inked has added a stitched option on playmats and mouse pads to provide even more durability and uniqueness to your game. Use the code TRS12 at checkout and get 12% off your order today. Play your games with your style at InkedGaming.com. So we are going to go to the community mailbag. This is where you, the lovely listeners via Reddit or Twitter or Discord or Twitch, send us your questions or suggestions that uh, for us, myself, Mark and I, or our guest, in this case, WaifuGate, to answer your questions. And the first question is from Bensi on Reddit. And this one is for WaifuGate. Now, I guess we could briefly go through this, uh, but uh, why don't you just, he says, can you explain your username, please? My username? Yeah, I got you. Um, so it's basically just, uh, I like anime, and my favorite anime 
is Steins Gate. So it just sort of uh, clicked for me one day. Like it was a little catchy and there's some like, you know, theme there. So I just kind of uh, went with that because it felt right from my old name, uh, Swiss Mocha, which I got from a, uh, like just the bathroom mat that we had that had a bunch of different drinks on it for for warm drinks and (laughs) such. That's an awesome answer. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I got my name from a toilet mat. It's like, yeah, (laughs) it's all good. I mean, I've heard worse stories, but I like how you said it just felt good. That's kind of how it sticks sometimes. All right. Uh, next one is via Twitter, and this is from Nirast, and he says, "Why do you think Mythgard, like Hearthstone, settled on seven maximum minions?" Uh, anybody want to tackle this one first? Give some thoughts or that. Hold on, I gotta reread the question. All right. So basically, the question is, Mythgard, like Hearthstone, uh, maxes out the board at seven creatures max so you can ha- can't have more than that and i mean i'll give my quick thoughts on this at first i think that given the fact that lanes are are important here you oh, want to make the sure lanes that- i was oh. like i was like wait there's so no. you can put more than that in your deck <laughs> you mean the oh lanes. no no no, okay. no on the board on the board <laughs> okay so there's a maximum of <laughs> so seven that can there. oh, <laughs> i apologize yeah sorry that was that was me i guess not reading it uh, the whole thing but on the board itself you can only have seven per per side at a time it's the same like uh, Hearthstone. So that's what Nuras is asking. Why do you think that there's a seven specific seven max minis? Because that's how many they could fit on the screen <laughs> without <laughs> the lanes being un- unbearable. <laughs> Just like it. I mean, if you don't go 360p well, or in two verse two, it's fourteen. So like, I mean, how much more do you want? <laughs> uh, that's true. It's yeah. So you in that case, but. I mean, in my opinion, I think it's just because you want to encourage interaction, at least in this game. In in, in Hearthstone, you don't need to have... You can have a board as big as you want uh, in terms of actually lanes mattering in Hearthstone. They oh, you don't. Mean, you mean I in think- Magic. In Magic, you can have as many as you want. That's what right. you mean, right? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Okay. In Hearthstone, it limits as well. In Magic, in Hearthstone- you can have whatever. In Hearthstone, there's a limit because of the fact that there's a weird interactions that create create creatures and there's like these weird it's i think that in 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 hearthstone the limit exists because things that eat other things that spawn other things there's crazy combos that would just get out of control you'd have a board that would be a hundred dudes long in in Mythgard, i think that there's seven because it encourages interaction between the lanes and because lanes block other lanes it becomes a matter of having to move and place and 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 you don't want to flood because if you're putting something in lane one and then something in lane 25, then you're never going to have that thing in lane one ever interact with lane 25. So I think that's why in, in those specific games, they're like that. Yeah. And I think with other games, like they did a really good job. Like I think elder scrolls legends, I'm not sure what it's called now, but they used to have like two lanes where you could like kind of play different things. So this is sort of a nice mix up with that. And I think that they, um, settled on that amount because it's like enough interaction with each other to where you have interactions with like one and three or three and five. Like there's just enough to make it interesting and to um, have choices basically when you go to down to to place your minions or your enchantments or whatever else. There's a lot of um, intricate decisions uh, that goes along with that because of the number of lanes. Makes sense. From Burn Melt on Reddit, you have to make a monocolor deck. What color do you choose and why? Yellow. Because <laughs> it's, right it's my favorite. Because it's my favorite. 
Again, another <laughs> no, no, there's another reason. From Mark, no, I have other, I have other reasons. Actually, I'll expand on that. So yellow, <laughs> yellow, and yellow is my favorite for this reason. So when when I first started playing the game, uh, just like I did with Magic, I didn't really have a collection. So I wanted to, okay, well, the easiest way to learn how to play is just play a mono deck. This way, I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, color costs and all, all the crazy stuff. So I picked a color I liked, and I just went to town with that. In Magic, it was red, and in heart and uh. In a uh, uh, Mythgard, I wanted it to be red, but it didn't turn out that way because I wasn't I didn't really like all kind of the way red was going because I wanted to do vampires. It wasn't really that great at the time. So I kind of latched onto yellow. I, I liked the theming theming of yellow and I liked the the way that yellow was playing with enchantments and things like that. So mono yellow, um, especially if you get a lot of if it's mythic heavy is a really powerful deck. So if you get a lot of the, a lot of those mythics in, in yellow have synergy together which is really awesome. And also Sappo is just a beast. So uh, why would you not want to play a deck that had Sappo in it? So there, there you go. That's why yellow. I'd go with, uh, I'd go with purple just because it has answers to everything. Uh, you have a lot of life gain with Swords Saint. You have Spirited Away to take care of any uh, minion. And then you've got really, uh, really good, efficient late game creatures like Lantern Colossus, uh, Tarragon, just things that have overrun. And you can put the life blade on those to get even more life gain through. And you've got really efficient creatures like racers that can rush in and trade. You've got spear dudes that can cycle late game or they can trade. You can use the spear to do whatever you want with. Um, you've got Baku to like suppress things, which like is another answer that you don't have to use for spirit away. That like There's so many uh, good cards in purple that if I had to pick one color, it would definitely just be purple. That would be the it. one I think that wouldn't have been said because that, that's one you rarely you rarely see them on a purple deck. So that would be one that I would think that would be least like the least option, but that all sounds compelling. So maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's uh, it's shortcomings probably. It's draw like balance isn't very good. So yeah. there's that. Oh, but you're definitely hitting on the uh, hitting the nail on the head there. I didn't think about a lot of what you discussed. I thought purple purple does have a lot of answers, which is weird that it doesn't see as much prominence. It's just slow um, at the beginning, right? Right. So, yeah. 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 Um, I was leaning towards so many different colors here like green or red or whatnot but i think the the color the color that really um encourages minion interaction i feel is blue blue has a lot of big boys that there's no valkyries baby well there's valkyries sure Mm. i mean that's a very good good uh i mean it's a very viable archetype right there if you play just valkyries but that's been uh, but um, but from a perspective of actually, there's no spot removal in blue, and that's its biggest weakness is the fact that there's no spell that says you know f off kind of thing. But there are big boys with a lot of punch. No, stuff actually, like, that's not true. Uh, the the what's the the spike ice spike is kind of a spot removal. Well, I mean spot removal. It, it deals two damage, not an insta kill. It's not like uh, oh, okay, or, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. right. Or, Three damage in winter. Yeah, three damage in winter, yeah, and it pierces great. through that armor, mofo. So, um, <laughs> the cool part about blue is that you're getting, you're doing all, you're solving all your problems via creative trades and enchantments and such. And uh, I like the the that aspect of the game when you're solving puzzles based on on that kind of uh, interaction. And and yeah, I mean, they're it's cool to have removal spells but and i'm not saying this from a perspective like when he said and when the part of the question says and why i think for me the end why is because of the fact that there's a lot of trading that goes on and and you know 
creatures smashing into each other and the overrun of of things like black and yotun and cards like uh hyperborean and living mountain etc so uh, i'm not saying i'm going to win a lot of games as uh, with that strategy but i think that it would be it's always fun to make happen so that would be my choice and uh yeah that does it for the mailbag so thanks to everybody who submitted to it and uh to waifu for the awesome answers that he uh, provided and to mark for the instant emotional response of yellow <laughs> hey i gave a good reason after that <laughs> no you did you absolutely did you absolutely did so that does it for this episode episode nine of the boneyard i want to say thank you again to waifu gate for joining us in this discussion my dude i hope you had a good time i did uh thanks for the invite that's my pleasure. And if anybody wants to catch you, where can they find you and, and see the cool things that you do? I'd say mainly on Twitch right now. I'm still working on YouTube, but just um, Twitch Waifugate. Uh, pretty easy to find me. So. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. As always, my man, it is a pleasure to just discuss with you and uh, it's cool to have you on. So we will definitely see you down the road in one capacity or another, my man. So thanks again. And uh, to you, Mark. Uh, out of a pentacle of flavors, out of all five <laughs> flavors, what would you rate this show today? We're gonna, we'll give it uh, we'll give it five pentacles out of five. That's like five times five over there. Yeah, That's five times so five. So many, so many flavors. So many but, flavors. <laughs> Mark, thanks again for uh, again producing the show and making everything happen. You are the man. And uh, do you want to say a little, give a little love to our sponsors? We're gonna thank uh, Inked Gaming, Team Rank Star. Uh, 983 Media and OP Seat and all you beautiful viewers for supporting the show. Oh, they're so beautiful. They're so damn beautiful. And uh, you can catch myself on Twitter at WatchFlake or on Twitch, twitch.tv slash WatchFlake. Marktheus at Marktheus on Twitter and uh, twitch.tv slash Marktheus. And uh, we invite you, as always, to be kind to one another. And thank you for listening, as always, because if it's not for you, we would be talking to ourselves. So cheers and adios.